It's good to be with all of you this morning. Um, I will address my wife singing a solo and just say I'm glad that Lisa's here with me. The last two times I've been here, Lisa could not come. We have five children, and so that in and of itself uh, is enough of a distraction that sometimes makes travel not so easy. Uh, but I'm so glad she's here with me. A lot of times men get up and they say, my beautiful wife. Well, my wife is beautiful, um, but I'll be very honest, what she brings to my life is a whole lot more than beauty. Uh, there's wisdom that I did not have till she got beside me and started telling me that I wasn't as smart as I thought I was. <laughs> and she was right. <laughs> so I'm thankful, babe, that you're here with me. Let's pray real quick, and then we'll dive in and, and see what the Lord has to say. Father, if it's from you, it's good. If it's from me, it's not. So I ask God that you use these words, that you speak to hearts, that you encourage souls, that you strengthen people's faith today. Holy Spirit, help me and help them. In Jesus' name, amen. So I have an interesting word today. And I, I called Pastor Brett and I had asked him, I said, you know, I'll give you an idea. A lot of times when you're a traveling guy or you do any type of travel, specifically if you're sort of that prophetic type, you sort of just blow in, drop a bomb, and you leave. Not sure that that's effective in any capacity, but for some reason we keep doing that merry-go-round. So a lot of times you just come in, you know, whatever the Lord's put in my heart, I'm going to throw it at the people. But the reality is I don't, I'm not here every week. I don't know what you're what, what's going on in your life? I don't know where you're at. And so I called Pastor. I said, Pastor, what, what are you even preaching? I said, well, I just finished a series on prayer. I said, okay. And I said, Lord, is there anything that you would like me to bring to add or to supplement to what they've been served over these past few weeks? And the Lord did give me something, but it's a little bit different. Okay? So I'm going to open there. I want to take you on a journey with me. Some of you are like, I don't even know you, so why are we going together? It's okay. I promise it'll be safe. Keep your hands inside the vehicle at all times. But the, there's a thing with prayer, and, and I want to I say this. If we see sickness, we are always to pray. That's the hand of the enemy. You know, I know there are some people that try to say, no, sickness is something that God also employs. God does not employ the kingdom of darkness. It's very clear when they came to Jesus and they said, he has Beelzebub. And Jesus says, how can one cast out Satan by Satan? How does that work? Right? So I want to make sure that I say a couple of things very clearly. The prayer of faith is always expected. The prayer against sickness is always asked of us. And here's the neat thing. That prayer is always answered. You say, wait, what? Because if I'm praying for healing for a believer, whether or not it's on this side of glory or that side of glory, I'm laying into the, the will of God either in this time or in the time to come. The effectual fervent prayer of the righteous availeth much. That is scripture. That's a promise. What does that mean? That's a prayer where you begin to actually cry out to God and you bring your righteousness, which he gave you to him and say, I'm standing here on your stead to pray for your will in the earth. That's not up for grabs. Right? Because where I'm about to go, you might go, well, wait a second, that's not as positive. What do we do when we get our answer and the answer is no? 
We don't talk about that a lot in church. It's not exciting. It's surely not what I wanted to preach when I came. What do we do when the answer is no? I remember growing up, there was a lady in my town. She had no idea that her life had this much influence on me. I won't say her name, but if she ever watches this, she'll know exactly who she is. Good woman, loved the Lord, had a prophetic gift in her life, played on our worship team. She was a good woman. Her little boy one day got out crawling around the pool, slipped in. Before she could find out, he had died. She was a nurse. They couldn't get her often. She kept trying to resuscitate him. Little boy didn't come back. A few years later, her husband ended up running around on her and left her. Man, this woman came to church every Sunday, sang on the worship team, played her saxophone. The story doesn't end there. She meets a man, good man. He comes into her life. He loves her well. He takes great care of her. I mean, the kind of story you go, this is how the story's supposed to end. This is how God makes it up to her. This is how he makes it right. One day he's out at the church working on a ladder, has a heart attack, and dies. She'd been married to him for less than a year, I think. And you go, Lord, I thought this was how you were making that right. That woman ended up marrying again, another man who had been widowed. She's older now. She goes around doing worship at old folks' homes, singing old country standards, the old tent revival songs. And I remember growing up and going, how does she keep smiling? How does she keep talking about the goodness of God? Because in her life, when I look at her life, I, I have five, I have three boys. If I don't know that I could make it through that. Thank God Lisa's a saint, but I don't know if I could make it through that either. And then to think I'm on the other side of that mountain and now God has made it right, and then that falls out of my hand. Now, I know none of you have gone through hardship or difficulty or ever questioned the goodness of God. I know none of you have loved ones who haven't come back to the Lord. And I know none of you have ever buried somebody before their time. Right? Because that's what we're supposed to say. That's the goodness of God. That's the, the power of God. You know, stand up in faith. But what do you do when the answer is no? When it doesn't all make sense and it doesn't all work out just the way you thought. I know so many who gave up prayer, who gave up the Lord, who gave up their faith because of a no or because of what they thought was inaction by God. And so this morning, I want to wrestle with you a little bit. Is that okay? Some of you are with me. Some of you are like, where are you going, young man? It's okay. Just stay with me a little bit longer. Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. This may have been a story that Pastor Brett brought out and spoke on, but it's a, a parable that Jesus tells. And in this parable, we have this woman who won't take no for an answer, right? She's going to this unrighteous judge, and she's going to bother him 
till she gets what she needs. And, and Jesus tells us this parable to teach us how to pray. It reads like this. Now, he was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and to not lose heart, saying, in a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. There was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him, saying, give me legal protection from my opponent. For a while he was unwilling, but afterward he said to himself, even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now, will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Wow. Jesus lays out a, a parable here, and he says, there's an unrighteous king. A man, he doesn't judge. He doesn't, he doesn't care about God or about man. He's not concerned with doing right. And this widow decided, I don't care about what's in his heart because I need an answer. And, and I remember this being taught to me. My mom is a praying woman. Some people say that. I have PTSD from being woken up in the night to tongues being yelled downstairs. Now, if you didn't grow up in a Pentecostal home, there's some upsides and some downsides to that. Upsides, you don't get woke up in the night with someone yelling out in tongues. Downside, you don't wake up in the middle of the night having somebody yell in tongues. And so there's this... There was this place where I knew my mom understood that I can get a hold of God. And, and that only got worse as my sister, and then later me a little bit, got rebellious. Got, went out and decided we were going to live our lives the way we saw fit. And it was nothing to come home, Pastor Brett, and find oil on your pillow. You lay down, why is, why is oil on my ear? Like, what? How did oil manifest in my bedroom? No, mom went in there and anointed my pillow so that my dreams were holy. I don't even understand that. But mom took this parable and said, This will be my life. I will pray my kids into the kingdom. Right? And so there's a beauty here. And there's this idea that you can keep coming back and keep making requests. And you can keep until what? Until a, a bad judge would get weary and give you what you need. So, what would a good judge and a good king and a good father do? And there's something there for you to take hold of. But now let's slide a little bit later in Jesus' story. Let's go to Matthew 26, verses 36 through 46. You may know this story. You may be very familiar, but this is, this is Gethsemane. Now, Jesus taught that if you go enough times, you can change the mind of a unrighteous judge, and then said, my father's better than that. Well, here's a problem, though. In this story, Jesus goes three times to his father. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, sit here a while while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. And then he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. 
And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, so you men could not keep watch with me for one hour. Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again a second time and prayed, saying, My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them again and went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. <laughs> Get up, let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. You should feel some tension there that shouldn't be lost on you. Jesus tells them, if you go to God more than once, he'll step in and bring forth justice. And then he finds himself going to his father, who he told you to pray that way with, saying, I don't want to suffer this way. Please, is there another way? But not my will, yours be done. He walks away, goes to see if his friends are there just to encourage him. They're passed out sleeping. He guys, what are you doing? I need your help. I'm in the middle of something. This is too heavy for me. Guys, what are you doing? And he goes back to his father. Father, I, there's got to be a way that I don't have to drink this cup. Right? comes back, they're sleeping again. What do I do with this tension? Because on one hand, I'm encouraged to keep praying, and I'm encouraged to stand in faith, and I'm encouraged to believe, and I'm encouraged to hope against hope, and to declare the goodness of God and the truth of God, and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not discounting that. But what happens when even in spite of all that, the answer is no. What happens when faith doesn't get it done? Uh, this is where things get a little awkward and uncomfortable, right? What happens when hope doesn't get it done? And you're looking and you're saying, God, I remember a few years ago, my uncle passed away. It was tough. He was a mentor in my life. He was a friend to me. And of course, my family, I told you, my mama was her brother. We're good Pentecostals. So we're going to try to raise him from the dead. Now hear me, I believe in it. I have friends who have done it. I know people who have been. Now, this is not some joke. This isn't to make light of believing God for resurrection. That is a promise to believers that's not any type of downcast. But here's the problem. I remember when they all started to gather, I said to the Lord, Lord, should, should, like David used to say, should I go up? Is this a battle you want us to fight? And I heard the Lord say, no, he's home. Well, now we're in tension here because for about an extra week, they rallied around him because, and, and I want, I'm walking you through something uncomfortable, so I'm sorry if it, it takes you to a place that's not the best, but I just want you to understand this. I watched them for a week. He was on life support, and if you're on life support, every now and then you'll twitch and you'll have things that happen. And for someone who's believing for brain-dead people to come back, that one twitch can change your entire faith outlook. 
And I watched what happened as comments were made, well, you know, they don't have enough faith. Or they don't, because that's what we end up doing too, is when we have this idea that as long as I have enough faith, God has to do what I ask. We set ourselves up for disappointments and heartbreaks you can't even fathom. And I remember talking to my cousin who I loved, who was like a little brother to me, and I remember telling him, you know, buddy, your dad's not coming back. And of course, you're the bearer of bad news. You're not the good family member. You're not standing in faith. And I'm going, there ain't, there's no part of me that wants that to be true. I want my uncle back. But the Lord said, No. when the boat gets rocked. And the goodness of God songs don't get it done for you. And your marriage isn't fixing itself and you fasted and prayed and there's nothing changed in that man's heart because it's always our fault. Sometimes. My wife is with me, I need to be wise. What do we do? We see the same thing with Mary and Martha. When Jesus shows up at Lazarus, where have you been? Right? Because sometimes before God does a deliverance and God does a miracle, you go through the darkness waiting for light to come through. But sometimes he walks you through the valley of the shadow of death and there's no light that comes through. You just walk through the valley. And there is a type of prayer and there's a type of place that you can get to with the Lord where the valley does not destroy you. See, I want to teach prayer from the mountaintop because that's the place we're called to believe and declare of God his goodness and declare of God his healing and his provision and his steadfastness. But then there's a prayer in the valley where you go, I can't see you. They told me you were good, but where are you? Why aren't you vindicating me, God? Why won't you step in? And the Lord said, mm -mm, son, this isn't one I fix by changing. This is the one I fix by taking you through. And some of you in this room have been going through. And you know to declare the truth of God and the promises of God. But what I want to come and tell you is you're not going through because your faith isn't good enough. You're not facing hardship because God decided he wanted to be mean to you. He's not playing favorites. It's not what he does. Sometimes he doesn't lift his hand to deliver you because there's deliverance in it, not out of it. And when you begin to settle in your heart that God is more concerned with you looking like him than your comfort level, all of a sudden, you stop praying away every storm. All of a sudden, you stop rebuking everything that you think is bad because you realize that sometimes in that bitter water, there's healing. And sometimes in that difficult season, God is putting something in you. He's making you strong. He's depositing in you something. And you say, why, God? Why do I have to go through this? And one of the things I've learned is this, so that when others go through, you get to say to them they can make it. Sometimes the testimony of prayer is not God's deliverance, it's God's keeping. I thought I was going to lose my mind. I didn't know, but he kept me. 
I thought I was going to lose my faith, but he kept me. I thought I was going to lose the business, but he kept me. I didn't get the million-dollar donation. My wife didn't come home, but he kept me. But he kept me. If we keep going, it takes us to another place in the story, and if we go back, it's in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Most of us know the story by heart. It's the story of Hannah and Samuel. In the story of Hannah, she is a wife who is barren. Her husband has a, another wife who is fruitful. I think her name is Penaniah. And they go up every year to Shiloh where the tabernacle of the Lord was. And they go up to worship and bring offerings. Now the, the, the wife who has all the children, she's blessed, she's favored. But the husband doesn't like her as much as he likes the other one. I'm not sure if you've ever noticed in the Old Testament, there's a lot of like wives that aren't liked. It's really unhealthy. Like there's a real unhealthy, like don't learn marriage from the patriarchs. Like they're not good at it at all. Yeah, you don't go off with a handmaiden. You don't tell your wife you prefer her sister. Like you don't do those things. It's not <sighs> different time, I guess. Can you imagine cancer culture in the patriarchs day? How bad that would go, Pastor Brett? But there she is. She can't have children. It reminds us of Rachel and Leah. It reminds us of Sarah and Hagar. It brings us back to this thing in the story of here is a God-fearing woman who cannot have a child, and we don't understand why. And she's gone up year after year, and God hasn't answered her. And then he does. All of a sudden, he does. Year after year, nothing happens. What was the switch? Hannah wanted a boy. She wanted a boy because that made her fulfilled as a wife. Because in that culture, that was your duty to your husband to carry on their name. She wants a boy because that's going to fulfill her heart as a mother. She wants a child so she can get this other woman off her back. No, 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 nothing happens, nothing happens. But then she says something. She says, God, if, if you'll give me a son, I'll give him back to you. Wait a second, what happened here? Year after year, nothing's happening. She's crying out for God to do something. He's not moving. What made him move? Her prayer changed. Better yet, let me say it this way, her prayer changed her. See, there's something in the delay sometimes. You say, God, why are you delaying? Because sometimes in that wrestle, something begins to change inside of you. Something begins to happen to the way you think and the way you believe and even what you're asking for. See, God needed a prophet. That's what he needed. He needed a prophet to come set Israel in order. He needed one to step into the place of the final judges. He needed a prophet who was going to set up the kingdoms. Samuel is one of the chief transitionary prophets from the judges to the kings. He needed his man, but he needed a mother to say, I'll give him to you. What are you asking God to do that you instead just need to give to him? Maybe it's a loved one. I know I got some mothers in here. You may have a son or a daughter out there running a little bit wild. And what you want is for them to show up at this church, go to church with you, repent, let you know they were terrible kids and give their heart to Jesus and get tongues. 
And I like all of those ideas. But what if God takes your child down to the Baptist church down the road? Meets them there. And what if they never come and repent to you for how bad of a kid they were? What happens if they build the kingdom somewhere else that you're not at? And the problem is you're praying so specific, God's going, I, I, I want to I help your boy, but can we take off some of the extra requirements for me to do what I need to do? Can you trust him? Can you hand him over to me? And let me be in charge of how I answer this scenario? Can you hand your business over to me? And I know that your prayer is a million dollars first year, but can you just trust that I'm going to be faithful? And, and if, if that's my will, I'll get you there. See, because there's something that can happen sometimes in charismatic churches, and I know your pastor better than this, so I know that's not his heart, but it can happen in us and we don't realize it. We begin to deal with prayer like it's magic. Tell our kids not to watch Harry Potter, but they listen to our prayer meetings and they get the same thing. You, it's just wishes. The best part is sometimes we pray, specifically in relational things, and we're saying, God changed them, not God revealed to me what I did wrong. I'll tell you how you know you've healed from trauma. When you stop saying it's their fault. Some of you are going, God's not answering my prayers. And I'm going, no, he's not going to. He's trying to change you. Because if he can change you, he won't need to do a miracle because you'll be different enough that you'll be the miracle. Yes, amen. So often we want God to do miracles out here, but sometimes he wants them in here. Sometimes we're waiting going, my marriage isn't getting better. God, it's not getting better. Fix. I've done a lot of marriage counseling, and it is amazing how every time you start, someone starts with fix this person. I'm talking 90% of the time. Every now and then you get surprised, but 90% of the time someone comes in the room and says, Pastor, my husband is the worst. I always pause and I go, and this is to wives and husbands, I say, if the field in your husband's life is rotten, what are you sowing into it? If your wife is a miserable person you can't spend any time with, when's the last time you were sweet to her? Works with dogs. You kick a dog around, treat it bad, don't feed it, don't take it out and put it in a crate and it bites you. You don't say the dog's a bad dog, you're a bad owner. And yet sometimes we want God to step in and fix things that his word tells us how to act in. We want shortcuts. We don't want process. And so we demand of God our child. We demand of God his promise. And he goes, I'm waiting a little bit. You say, God never does that. Well, in the Psalms, it says that Joseph was tested by the word. Oh, we don't like that. Joseph, you're going to be delivered. This is, this is what's going to happen. What I forgot to mention is going to take a couple years. Some of you have been waiting a long time for God to act. I'm not here saying he won't. Because he's good, he will. What I'm trying to get you to do is one of two things. Not become discouraged in the waiting. 
And that happens when we start saying, I must not be praying the right prayer. I must not be doing the right thing. I, must, I need to give more at the offering. Feel free to do that. Pastor Bet won't mind. But it's not going to make God answer you. You can't twist his arm by fasting. You can't make him bless you by throwing money in the plate. That is not how the relationship works. Here's how it works. He is good and kind to everyone. Adam, do you have scripture for it? I do. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. Right? So this idea sometimes that if I just work up enough lather and, and I really get into worship and I volunteer on every team and I, God's going to make my husband be a better man. Or God's going to bring my kid home. And God's going, I just want you to say sorry. It's not even a miracle. Just go say sorry to him. See, this is, this is the stuff we don't talk about, right? This is, that, this is why it's good that I get to leave, right? I get to go home after this, and if you don't like me, Pastor Brett won't have me back. It, but this is, this is where the tension is, right? And this happens in our lives. Everything is not a mountain, I love the mountaintops with God. I love knowing God's with me. I love favor. I love the financial blessing. I love when my marriage is going great and all of my kids are behaved. But sometimes they're not. And sometimes the car breaks down. And sometimes you're a little short on rent. And sometimes and you go, God, you said you'd provide for me. And it's, I am. But I'm sorry that I didn't put in the scriptures, I will provide for you according to the American dream. I never found that in the text. I look for it all the time. I'm looking for where is the million dollars in the white picket fence promise, but it's not there. And so sometimes we come to God with expectations that he's supposed to provide according to what we think provision looks like. We over-leverage ourselves financially. We get into houses we can't own. We get into things we can't do. And then we say, God, how could you do this to me? And the financial advisor's going, I don't think God had anything to do with this. He's pretty good at math. <laughs> Someone here had something to do with this, but it wasn't God. He can add and subtract. This is real confusing. And this is how the enemy robs us. This is how the enemy gets you to stop praying. This is how the enemy gets you to leave the church because all of a sudden, that thing that doesn't get answered and doesn't work out and that spouse that doesn't come home and that kid that ends up strung out and doesn't get right. And you go, God, I can't wait any longer. You're not good. You're not faithful. And all of a sudden, the circumstances begin to change what we know about the truth. If we turn over... To 2 Corinthians, we find Paul wrestling with this as well. I've always wondered what it was like to be Paul, to process some of the things the way he did. I was, much of this sermon probably got sparked as an idea from a meme I saw, right? For some of you who don't know a meme, a meme is a photo with some words on it that's funny. Hopefully. Sometimes they're not that funny. But on this meme, it's a picture of St. Paul, and he's reading about how he's been shipwrecked multiple times and all these hardships he's gone through, right? Which he says in this particular letter. And then it says, and all of this wouldn't have happened if I just would have bound the winds and the waves. Some of y'all didn't catch that. 
There's a charismatic teaching that I can bind and I can stop all sorts of circumstance. Now, mind you, I pray against weather. If a hurricane's coming to a city, I ask God for mercy. I ask him to divert it. I'm not denying that I ask those things. But it was amazing that Paul didn't go, well, somehow my prayers didn't get answered because hardship came into my life. No, he said, this is what I expected from the beginning. That this life in this fallen world is not easy and it is not kind and it is not gentle. Oftentimes it is brutal and painful. So he's not looking at the hardships as some proof of who God isn't. He's going, no, that's the world. That's what happens in this fallen world. I want to say this so clearly to you. When you see people's lives being destroyed, when you see sickness, when you see the end, don't ever confuse. I don't care what theologian tries to tell you that God likes to use evil by which ways to bring about his own purposes. God does not employ the devil that way. And some of you go, well, what about Job? And I go, first off, if you haven't studied that book enough, you get to the end and God says, everything said about me from this point to here is wrong. And we build theologies after what God said isn't true about him. So here's Paul, chapter 12, verses 7 through 9 of 2 Corinthians. Now, before you jump there, I want you to think about this. So often we say, God, I want revelation. I want you to use me. I want you to give me gifts. I want you to bless me. I want to be prophetic, more prophetic than, than Daniel ever was. I want, to be, I want to be so anointed that Paul wishes he could meet me in heaven. I want my shadow to run through. The, I want to be the ultimate warrior with my shadow running around. Everyone gets healed. Ultimate warrior is a wrestler. If you missed that, I was raised in a country town, and I grew up on wrestling. But look what Paul gets for the assignment on his life. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. I want to pause here just for a second because some people try to use this verse to say God sent that thing. But that's not what Paul says. He says it is a messenger of Satan. But watch what he's doing. He's putting what Satan's doing in the context of what God is really doing. So Satan's coming. He's sent him somebody to buffet him, to distract him, to discourage him. He has a demonic thing coming against him. Now listen, I just told you, you pray against those things. So does Paul. We keep reading. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. So wait a second, Paul. You who cast demons out, over and over and over again. Go read the book of Acts and see what Paul does. Like the coolest one ever is he makes a sorcerer go blind. I still don't understand exactly how that one works. I tried to learn it at a spiritual camp. They didn't teach me well. But um, he literally makes a sorcerer go blind. This is power. This isn't some guy joking around. 
Now let me help you. He makes him go blind to know what the truth is so that his eyes will be opened unto the light. That's, he doesn't keep him blind. He does not destroy his life. I don't want to get into that theology either. But this is a man that knows how to deal with darkness. This isn't somebody taking their first roundabout on prayer. <laughs> this is a guy that knows how to get to heaven. This is a guy that has revelations he never even shares in the book. He says, I can't write them down. And what has happened here? He's able to look at what the enemy's doing and say, Ah, but I know what this is actually for. It's to keep me humble. Because the things that God is doing in my life, they could make me think that I'm something I'm not. I'm telling you, sometimes the greatest test is the test of blessing. Let me unpack that. Israel only rebelled against God when they were blessed. Israel never turned their back on God in hardship. Have you ever considered maybe he hasn't blessed you the way you wanted because he knows it would lead to your rebellion? Because he knows it would lead to you forgetting his goodness and that he was the one that blessed you? God, show up and fix all this. And he's like, I love you too much. I'm too jealous for you. If I fix it, you'll forget me. Adam, that's not how God speaks. Go read the prophets. Over and over again, they're warning, if God shows up and does this, you're going to forget him. You're going to turn from him. And so there's this tension that goes on in our lives that God watches, and sometimes we feel like, well, how could he watch and not act? I would act. I would fix this for me. But again, he's sitting back going, the thing I'm more concerned about then your comfort is you bearing my image. When we read in Romans that all things work together for good, because we use that verse all the time, and we use it, funny enough, in a very Buddhist sense. We use it like it's karma. And we use it in this way of, and it's actually probably more of a Taoist sense, but we use it as for every bad, there must be an equal good. So if bad things happen in my life, God's going to magically throw them in a recipe ball, and on the other side of the, the oven, it'll all be great. But that's not what Romans 8 promises. It promises that all things will work together for your good in direct correlation to you being conformed into the image of his son. And so sometimes suffering doesn't get better, it just makes you more like him. I'll repeat it to this side because they didn't, weren't so sure about it. Sometimes suffering doesn't get better. It just makes you more like him. There's compassion in a sinner who's been forgiven much. There's understanding in someone who's been through sickness. See, I've always asked myself this question. Jesus goes to the pool of Bethsaida. At the pool, there's a folklore tradition that an angel will come down, spin the water, and the first one to make it into the water will be healed. All around this pool are all of these sick people. If I'm Jesus, I'm playing duck, duck, goose around that pool, and I'm just knocking heads, and everyone's getting healed. What does Jesus do? He walks up to one man. and only heals him. Almost every other story in the text that you can find of Jesus, it says he healed them all. Over and over again, healed them all, healed them all, healed them all, healed them all. But today he doesn't. 
Then I began to think about how many times did he walk past the gate beautiful? And there's a beggar sitting there, and he doesn't do anything. Now, if I'm that beggar who sees Jesus walk by the gate, like, oh, week one, yeah. But if I'm in year three of his ministry, and I'm going, how is it everybody gets healed, and you walk by me every day, and you do nothing for me? Well, Jesus isn't bound by time. And he recognizes that that assignment isn't his, it's Peter and John's. And he recognizes to step in before that time is to take from them something that is their assignment and their place of victory and their place of promise. Sometimes he's holding back provision because he wants someone else's hand to do it. And so you're in the waiting and you're going, God, where are you? And what I'm saying is sometimes that waiting is not God missing you. It's him allowing the time for the ultimate setup where he steps in and turns everything and you go, if he would have done it at this stage in my life, it wouldn't have meant what it meant. But now that I've wrestled and now that I've fought, now all of a sudden my testimony is different. I wish it was like Burger King. I wish you could just drive through prayer and just boom, boom, boom and get what you need. But sometimes prayer is a slow cooker. And the thing that's inside is you. And he's letting things work and marinate and change so that you begin to declare and you begin to pray in line with his will. So that you begin to realize that you're not the center of the whole world. That your story is not the worst. Sometimes I think in prayer we forget that if God answered my prayer first every time, what about the poor kids in countries I can't even pronounce? And what about the widows and the orphans? And what, See, we, we, we forget that he's not just hearing your prayer. He's not just seeing your circumstance. This is the God of the world. Let me help you with that. That means he hears Muslims' prayers, even though they don't know how to call them by the right name. Adam, how do you know that? Because he keeps showing up to them in visions and getting them saved. I don't understand that. All I know is they pray to Allah and Jesus shows up. Seems like he's willing to answer any bell. If you're really searching. See, this is the, the tensions. And what I'm saying to you, church, is this. Sometimes you're going to go through seasons that it's a valley. Sometimes your marriage isn't going to get better overnight. And sometimes it actually doesn't require God. It just requires you. And that prayer is not for him to wave a magic wand and tinkerbell your problems away. It's to get you to start in your heart thinking, acting, living, and breathing like him. It's to draw you into a place where you begin to recognize that God is good whether or not he delivers you. Whether or not he answers. You say, well, Adam, how do you know that's where he's trying to get us to? Well, I have a story that all of you know. Daniel chapter 3. Cody's coming up to make me sound more anointed. Thank you, Cody. I'm use all the help I can get. In Daniel 3, we have three Hebrew boys. You all know the story. We learned it in Sunday school. If you didn't, Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's not even really their names. <laughs> it's a whole other part of the story. These three boys are asked to bow or a statue of Nebuchadnezzar. This statue is set up by people that are angry that these boys have the favor of God on their life. 
We say this to you. Sometimes we want the favor of God, but we don't want the fire of Nebuchadnezzar. That was worth amening, but I understand it didn't feel good. They're asked to bow, and they refuse. They won't bow. Nebuchadnezzar is incensed. He tells everybody, turn up the oven, make it hotter. I'm not just going to burn these boys. I'm going to burn these boys good. They're, I'm going to make an example out of them to the nation of what it is to deny me and to deny my will and deny my image. But look what they say to him. At the end of that section there, verses 13 through 18, I think it's verse 17. They say this, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not. Let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. These three boys sit there and they go, we're not bowing. Not gonna happen. And we are aware that God is able to deliver us. We know the goodness of Jehovah. We know his covenant with his people. We know that he can step in and that nothing can stop him. But even if he doesn't do it, we still know he's God. And we're not changing our testimony of who he is based on how he performs when we demand that he act. Because he's God whether he shows up or he doesn't. He's God whether he delivers or he sends us into the fire. He's God whether or not my sickness is healed or I go to cancer in the grave. He is God whether or not my marriage is restored or whether it falls to pieces. Why? Because he is God regardless of my circumstance. And there's a place in prayer that we want to get to. And it's painful because we, we, we want him to deliver us. The fire hurts sometimes. We're going, God, take me out. And he's going, can you still say I'm good in the midst of the fire? Will you still declare my goodness if I don't work this out the way you want? Am I still faithful if you don't make the bills? Or is this just an exchange where as long as I do magic tricks, you come? And as long as I make everything better, you stay. Can I ask you to take Isaac up the hill to worship? Or do I have to keep every promise in your hand? This is the tension sometimes that we wrestle with as we wait on the goodness of God, as we wait on the faithfulness of God. Some of you have names written down in your Bibles, names that you've been praying for for decades. And you hear a sermon on faith and you get excited and you run back in your prayer closet and you begin to cry out with a fresh fervor, but that something doesn't change. And you go, God, I can't keep getting my hopes up to drop them down. And this is my challenge to you. 
Can your prayer become a declaration and not a petition? Can you look at those unanswered prayers and say, God, I know you're able to save my son. And I know you're able to restore my marriage. And I know you're able to take care of these finances and these difficulties and these hardships. But if you don't act, I'm still going to praise you. If you don't deliver me from this storm, I'm still going to dance in the midst of the rain. If you don't show up and make it all work out, I'm still going to say you're faithful and true. Because there's a place of maturity in prayer that says, whether you answer or not, I know you're good. He came to me, and his answer was no. Jesus there in the garden, saying, God, Dad, is there any way? The scriptures say that Jesus, with joy, went to the cross. And so often, when we come to the Lord, we are all about drinking the cup of joy, the cup of celebration, the cup of blessing. Jesus even says himself that he's excited to one day drink of that cup again at the marriage feast. He said, I won't taste of this again. Jesus knows that there's a cup of joy. But Jesus' greatest cup of joy, the marriage feast of the Lamb, could only come after he drank the dregs of suffering. Are you willing to drink the cup of suffering and the cup of joy? Are you willing to know Jesus in his crushing, not just his glorification? Are you willing to know Jesus when no one understood him? Are you willing to be faithful when they say, why are you being friends with that sinner? Why are you out here doing that? Why are you being kind to that broken person? Why are you showing grace to that addict? Why are you getting your hands dirty? What are you doing? Are you, are you okay with being scandalized? Because for my world, the challenge I have for you guys today is don't just in prayer say, I want the cup of joy. Because there's things you can learn about God and joy. But there's a whole lot of things you can learn about the man, Jesus Christ, and suffering. And that suffering will create in you a capacity to help others in their pain. I know that you might not like hearing that because in the midst of pain, it's easy to focus inward. It's easy to say, God, how and why? And I promise you, if you can pull back and say, God, what are you going to use this story for, for someone else? What are you doing in me so that when I find someone broken in the ways I've been broken, I have something to give of them of the bread of life? Then your prayer gets to have both things in its hand. Faith that God can deliver, faith that he's good, faith that he can heal, but not a discouragement that collapses you if it doesn't, but instead a walking home that says, but even if my God doesn't, he is still good. Even if my God doesn't do it the way I thought, he's still faithful. And I'm going to stand in his faithfulness, and I'm going to implore in faith of his goodness, and I'm not going to lose this. Why? Because there are three things that stand, it says in the scriptures. Faith, hope, and love. Faith may fail, and you may run out of hope, 
But there's this place that says in the midst of the tension, I don't have faith to believe anymore. I don't have hope for the outcome. But I know that you love me and I love you. And so I will stand and wait for the deliverance of my God. God, there are people in this room tonight or today that have been waiting a long time. That have cried out. There are loved ones, there are children. God, I can feel it in my heart. There are kids that have been prayed for and prayed for and prayed for. There are mothers whose knees are tired. There are marriages that are fighting the good fight to be what they're supposed to be. There are people here that have illness and issues in their body that hasn't been healed and they've seen other people go up and they didn't get their healing. God, there are places of tension in here. Holy Spirit, encourage those that are weak, need, and faint-hearted. Lift up their hearts again to cry out and trust. But let them know, God, that their faith is not what their miracle is contingent upon, nor is their hope. But instead, it's your love. So God, I ask for those that have not had answered prayers. I ask God that the testimony of this church over the next few months will be some big fish getting caught some prayers that have been brought up year after year being answered, I ask God that you would begin to stir prodigals to come home. That you would bring them to their senses, as the scripture says. He came to his senses and said, I can return home. God, I ask that you would do that. I ask for husbands and wives who've gotten to the place where they don't think the good thoughts about each other, but everything is seen through a jaded hue and everything is seen through pain. I ask God that you would begin to pour out the oil and the wine. Lord, the kind that restores our soul. The balm of Gilead broken up and Lord, kindness and tenderness and gentleness to begin to emerge. The fruit of the Spirit to be seen and felt in their lives. Lord, teach this people how to give thanks in all things that they may have peace that passes understanding. For your word says by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. Lord, let them begin to thank you for the hardship and the difficulty. Let their perspective change about their job and, and the circumstances. Because God, as they begin to thank you, they're gonna open peace into their lives. They're going to open peace into their homes. They're going to open peace into their marriage. I bless this congregation. I thank you for what you're doing here, Lord. I bless the pastors and the staff. I thank you, God, for your goodness and what you have done here, even from the last time I came in the doors. I thank you for the blessings that we see in the natural but God, I ask that you would prepare this people for expansion. I ask that you would prepare their hearts to realize that this was not to get things settled. This is just a launching pad. 
I ask, Lord, that you would help them to begin to see that there is going to be roles and places for them to step up into and to serve and to lead. God, I ask that you would bring hands around the pastors, God, so that this isn't something they just have to carry. But God, that the people in this community would begin, Lord, to drive themselves towards your mission and purpose for this church. I ask, God, that the giving would be like in the days of the tabernacle when Moses said, please bring no more, we have more than we need. And I ask that the building would be like in the days of, Lord, the walls and the temples being restored when Nehemiah said that they would carry a sword in one hand and a tool for work. Because, God, blessing is coming to this house. You said in the scriptures to render unto Caesar that which is his and unto you that which is yours. God, what carries your image is man. And so the blessings of your kingdom is not coin. It is the souls of men. And so God, you're going to begin to bring souls into this house. You're going to begin to bring the unchurched, the unsaved, the broken and the destitute. And God, not so that this church can be a gathering of broken things, but so that this church can have a testimony of a God who rebuilt the broken down places. I bless this congregation. I thank you for the opportunity to share my heart and your word with them. Let it be fruitful. Let it be fruitful. In Jesus' name. I know tonight we're going to be doing another service. Pastor Brett may come up here to the point. I want to do one thing, if that's okay. You. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, you. He hasn't forgotten his promises to you. I came in this room and the Lord said to me, he said, Adam, you told her I was going to do some things in her life. And those things haven't all manifested the way she had hoped. You tell her I'm not done. So right now, Lord, I break off the lie that she's not going to see the goodness of God in her life. I break off the lie that there is going to be a place in her heart that is never fulfilled. And Lord, I ask right now, Holy Spirit, that you would begin to encourage her, begin to give her hope, begin to have her start looking out at the future in a way that she would know that, God, you are not a respecter of persons. She will know your goodness in the land of the living, and she will say that her God has been faithful to her. This atmosphere is, to use some language that doesn't make any sense, but it should, is pregnant with the prophetic. Meaning it would be very easy to just start prophesying and going through people. But I also recognize that it's about 12 o'clock and some of y'all are hungry. So we're not going to do that now. Later tonight we're going to gather. If you want to come out, if you need ministry, and I know it's a gathering to talk about the prophetic and things, that, but if you're one of those people who's like, look, none of that makes a sense to me, but this guy seems weird and I want to see what this looks like in close in person. Come on out. I'm as weird as you think I am. But we want to, we want to share, we want to minister, we want to lift up weary arms and downcast hearts and just make sure that you know that God is for you, not against you. That even in the waiting, he's still good. And that he is a God that still performs miracles. Thank you all. I love you guys.
God bless. Pastor Brett. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about Legacy Church and other resources, visit us online at legacyfamily.info.